Andy Lynn has taken some time off today. I'm not sure if he's fishing, hunting, coaching hockey, or all of the above. Well, he didn't tell me. I don't know. He no. just sent me a note saying, can you do the show tomorrow? But he's the, he's the boss, so he <laughs> can awesome. do that. Yes. Yeah, Barry Strands is back with us, and we always enjoy our time spent with Barry. And I know you do, too, as our listeners do. Uh, call Barry or send Barry a text. Uh, it's the same number, 651-989-9226, uh, for your calls or your text messages. If you're a regular listener of the show and know who Barry is, you know he knows his stuff. And, again, it's always fun getting that information out in, in, in his uh, his manner. Barry, Barry well, I, yeah, yeah. I, I bring probably more personality than people care about, but, but you know, no, no, no. I, I, with eleven fun. children, it's a, it's my it's my how to stay sane function. Keep them laughing if you can. But you know, you you are a busy guy, and for those that maybe uh, are just meeting you for the first time here today, uh, give us a background on on what you do. You all right? Well, the short version is I got in construction in 1972 because I needed money, and my grandfather offered me a dollar seventy-five. An Who was hour. in the business? Yeah, he was a contractor, so I schlepped stuff around the job. Did a college stint and a speech comm major, and there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity there. Came back, stayed in the family business, went off on my own eventually, and uh, twenty oh boy, thirty years ago now, thirty-two years ago, I had an opportunity to start teaching to a, a real estate class. And I thought, you know, okay, I'll try this. And it was horrible. I had to flop sweat and it was the worst experience of my life. And I get all done and the guy goes, I know you were scared, but you're a natural. And I'm like, well, thanks. Uh, I'm never doing this again. And he <laughs> said, no, no, I'm, I'm sure I can go to the boss. And I would persuade him, if you come back and do this one more time, we'll pay you. And I thought, pay me. I never thought about that. Wait, I've got kids. I could use the money. Absolutely. You know? Groceries. So, yeah. Yes. So I started teaching then classes. What do you teach now? Let's, well, let's construction-related topics. And yeah. I taught for, at that time, a company called ProSource. And they were bought out by a national company called Kaplan. And then I segued when, uh, a few years ago into a company called Professional Education Resources. So I teach contractor-level classes, real estate classes, appraisal classes, race mm-hmm. uh, on construction topics. Code and, as well? Well, that's, that's not where I started, but it's where I wound up because mm. when contractors got involved, it, the state wanted us to teach code. Because builders didn't really have a code background in Minnesota at that time. So they would come in arms folded across their chest going, what do you know, punk? You know, and uh, I would be like, I'm not as much as you, I'm sure, but I'm the guy. So um, it was terrifying. But I it was such it an was. education to learn by getting asked questions I didn't know the answer to. And it's just made learning part of the joy of my life now. And it's like, I think if you stay a learner all of your life, yes. then as you age, you age, I think, better. You, you don't, you're not, so it's cranky because you're always going, I don't know that. I, I want to learn that. This is awesome. I, I'm, look, I'm learning. And here I am at 62 and, and I'm regarded by some people who I think are doing drugs that I'm as a construction expert. And at the same time, I find myself going home and my kids are like, um, dad, got 20 bucks. I need gas. You know, so I live in a world where it's really just about relationships. And, and out of the construction thing, a number of opportunities came. I did videos for the Handyman Club of America. And now I found one online, Denny, oh, no about kidding. building under cabinets or under stair storage spaces. It is 3.8 million hits. No kidding. And my name's not attached to any place. But I'm like, hello, that's crazy. Look at that. I need to monetize this. I got to Google that. I know. How can I, how can I do more? Anyway, it's, uh, and so I work as a site supervisor for Kyle Hunt and Partners, who is a I think, a high-end builder on the Lake Minnetonka area principally. Our headquarters are there, but we build all over the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. And get to, I get to manage, essentially, uh, as a site supervisor, construction projects. And it is a 
a treat to work for an outfit that is that cool and that caring and gets to work on some homes that are just so much fun. Um, I bet it is fun seeing that quality work. It, it is. It, there's also, you know, it's it's delightful because you're working with stuff and with people who have the ability to do things that I could never do. Yeah. You know, uh, there are people whose taxes on their property is more than I make in a year. You know, it's just a different paradigm altogether. Yeah. But you get exposed to things, steel, structural construction on lakes that handle wind loads. Uh, it's like I don't build with steel and these buildings have to because of this massive glass surface that gives us this amazing lake view. So it's part of a change of learning always for me. And, and then I come back into my northeast Minneapolis home and deal with reality. I paid thirty eight. <laughs> thousand dollars for my house and it's a fixer-upper and I've basically doubled the size of it and so I live in the world where I practice on my but own But you home. can do that yourself. I love it. That's pretty My, my battlefield is I don't have enough time but I love yeah. it. So my house is like I call it 85%. You walk in and go oh, that's going to be great when it's done. <laughs> that's going to be that awesome often. when it's done. You say that often. <laughs> I know. And, well unfortunately it's, and, but I get to salvage stuff out of the dumpsters of wealthy people. So stuff that gets tossed, I'm like, oh. and if you went into my house right now, you wouldn't know that I have a scratch and dent refrigerator that I got for $500. And you wouldn't know that the double oven sitting there, stainless steel, uh, nearly brand new, came out of a remodel job. And that my, my KitchenAid cooktop, again, was salvaged from a job site. My countertops were salvaged from a job site. They're all granite. You know, you wouldn't know. At the same time, I know, and, and with 11 children, it's the way the budget worked. It's awesome. So, but It's anyway. called necessity is the mother. Y- yes, of the and you yes. get creative. So, Well, that's Barry, and he's uh, helping you out today uh, with your uh, any kind of home improvement question. I want to talk specifically, Barry, about what, what this weather outside has been doing. Oh, Denny, it's uh, the wettest it's ever been. It's wow, just wow, wow. nuts. What, what, what some of the, give us some well, examples of how it's affected your business. It, it's What's happening is... The ground saturation for moisture levels is really nutty, and it means that if you've got fissures alongside a foundation, you're going to have water up against the foundation wall, creating a phenomenon we call hydrostatic pressure. And hydrostatic pressure basically means that the water in the soils is saturated, and now there's pressure against the wall. And the newer construction, stuff since around 2000, we've understood those problems and built that a system out so that by code, we're required to put exterior drain tile in place so that exterior waters have a place to drain. They can be brought into the sump basket and then pumped out to daylight. That relieves the pressure in the soils against foundation walls to eliminate cracking and buckling of the foundation. But you go back to a 19, well, let's just say a 1950s home, and in some of the areas where we have heavier clay, you're looking at an 8-inch block foundation wall that's up against now this heavy clay saturated soil and there'll be horizontal cracks about three feet off the wall as those walls are giving in to the pressure. The pressure's there in the soils. The wall responds to the pressure by moving. And the pressure doesn't go away unless the soils dry out. So when we maintain pressure and don't get that water out of the soils, that pressure is constant on the wall. And so cracking and buckling become part of the problem that we're seeing more widespread. And it's just interesting to keep in mind that in addition to the pressure against the wall, we also have water that's building up around the foundation floor slab in many houses. And 
what we don't understand as well as consumers is that that joint then becomes saturated and we can we can get wetting along the block floor joint and we're, we're like well is it leaking not exactly it's a phenomenon that we get when we have what's called hydraulic pressure and it's another fancy term that just means there's water beneath the slab and in that footing location that's pushing up from underneath and as the soil pressure saturates and increases with additional moisture, we're seeing more of those kinds of problems emerge. And until we can get soil, uh, soil's moisture, I should say, away from the foundation, we're not going to solve those problems. Again, the newer houses, and you would argue that some changes took place in the 1980s and 1990s that were good, but you know the old tar foundation that we used to spray yeah. tar oh, and yeah, stuff. Sure. What most people don't know is in the 1980s when we were doing that, that material was not waterproof. It wasn't. It was damp-proof. And those terms... <laughs> Big difference. They, and they were in the building code, but no one read the code. Damp-proofing means simply that we resist bulk water. And bulk water is just liquid water. We can see rain comes down, ponds on the surface. It's bulk water. And if it runs down the wall in the form of liquid, it's bulk water. Okay? And damp-proofing would handle that. But as soon as you get water soaked into the soils and now it's sitting there saturated in the soil and is now pressing against the wall, that hydrostatic pressure cannot be effectively resisted by merely damp proofing with tar. So now we've got a lot of these 1980s homes where we're getting water on the surface and it shows up like a gray, heavier gray color. And we're like, what's going on? Is my basement leaking? Yeah. And a lot of these exposed foundations, you can see it. But when you've got a finished wall... Behind that, let's say, framing and some insulation, oftentimes fiberglass and then plastic, the phenomenon is taking place, but we don't recognize it. Now, what happens, of course, is summer comes along and we get this temperature inversion, and now it's cooler inside, warmer outside, and now the walls begin to sweat to the inside, and the inside face of the plastic is getting wet. And we see those phenomena, we saw that in a lot of 1990s homes, and builders are like, well, we don't know what to do. And no one understood really the physics of what was going on. That's what's caused the code to change and require waterproofing on all foundations now. So when we got the new code in 2015, you can't damp-proof a basement anymore. You must waterproof a basement no matter what Did the soil conditions. That. I know. Well, that's why I came. To help you learn things, Dave, <laughs> and to get you to laugh. <laughs> you do all of the above. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Barry, hang on. We're going to take a break. Let's take if, some calls then. Yeah, well, it's calls or text messages. And again, that number, same number applies. You want to ask Barry your question, 651-989-9226. Call it in or text it in. We'll uh, field those questions. Our Home Improvement Show presented by our friends at Linda's Construction. Good morning. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show brought to us by our friends at Lindus Construction. I haven't spelled that yet. L-I-N-D-U-S. Andy Lindus taking the day off today. Our friend Barry Strands is with us helping you out. This is your chance to talk to this guy who knows a whole lot of stuff. I know how to father children, too. I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> and how to uh, impart it to, to the rest of us. Uh, 651-989-9226. Um, we're, we're talking, among other things, we're not going to limit it to, to all the... No, anything people want to talk about. Yeah. We'll, we'll take any call on any topic related um, to construction or anything Well, here's, here's something that came in uh, earlier. We're going to try to grab as many texts as we can here. Uh, our garage floor, texter says, gets wet in the spring when the snow melts. Can I do a garage floor coating and would it stay adhered to the floor? And when is the best time to do it? Um, 
I don't know what you'd say about that. I, of course, I, years ago I had my uh, garage floor epoxy. They grind it down. Yep. and grind it down and epoxy the floor. So the question, of course, is how, is it hydrostatic pressure, is it hydraulic pressure, or is it simply um, what we call capillary action of water wicking through the slab? All of those are part of the equation. And so trying to respond to go, why is it getting wet? How is it getting wet? I, I need to know that to be able to give the correct answer. So maybe epoxy would solve the problem if it's coming through the slab. Epoxy is one of the best solutions we have. And, of course, you grind it so you get better adhesion. But if it's coming through cracks, those need to be ch- called chasing yes. the cracks. Yes. And then they get sealed with – today the sealants are amazing. And we can actually stop hydrostatic pressures coming through crack locations better than we can cause them or keep them from coming through the slab. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. because we can – there actually is a different membrane in place. Remember, concrete functions like a wick. It's if you take a um, a paper towel and a little pond of spilled coffee or something on your countertop and just dip the tip of that paper towel into this and you're going to watch the water the liquid move vertically against the flow of gravity and you're going oh water water must always go down because gravity would pull it yes but under under certain conditions when we have a saturated portion of a membrane like paper towel sure. or like concrete. That saturated pore actually pressurizes that pore, and so there's a higher water pressure where it's wetted going into a dry portion, which has a lower pressure, which essentially means that we're going to push water up through a, a matrix even as dense as concrete. And it will move up vertically, and it shows up as just damp concrete. It's not standing water. But that's high, that's the, the term that we use for that is capillary action. Mm. It's basically suction coming through the concrete. And it's important to understand that phenomenon can be handled with an epoxy coating. If we've got cracks and hydraulic pressure, we need to chase those cracks, seal them, and the epoxy will help. But I don't think I would guarantee a bond over time. It's not a cure-all. When we've it? got a pressure problem yeah. underneath. And again, you might have a spring. Uh, you might have an underground uh, river. You might have a broken city water main. We came into one house where the whole concrete slab had buckled from underneath and was up about six inches in the center. Wow. Just like there'd been some, I don't know, Halloween creature coming up underneath, pushing through. I think of the original Iron Man movie where, anyway, it's, it's coming up and you're going, what in the world? And you're, is it a tree branch? Is it, what was going on? And, and what it was, was it? simply water pressure. It was just that. Yep. And it was a clay-based soil soaking wet, expanded, had no place to go, broke the concrete open, but a city water main had broken. Oh. And so saturated the subsoil levels that the soils got super saturated and expansive clays have to move. And they moved and, and the concrete, the four-inch thick concrete floor could not withstand the pressure of the clay soils soaking wet. It's amazing. And to address uh, that texture about the garage floor, and I've been told, too, that if your uh, your concrete floor has, like, spalling, yep. that's not going to cure it. The epoxy won't. You can patch it. Right. And you can seal it, like, whatever. Right. But there's no guarantee. No. And, well, the problem is uh, uh, everything that you do that's topical is, deter- is dependent upon the base's quality. Right. And if the quality of the concrete base is not perfect, then the surface is going to be only adhered to that base. You're right. If the base is bad, surface can't help it. Hang on, Barry. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you have any kind of a home improvement question, uh, you want to ask Barry, he'll field it for you either by text or by phone. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome back to our home improvement show presented by our friends at Linda's Construction. One of our friends, Barry Strands, filling in for... Andy Lindis today, helping you out by phone and by text. Uh, he's been in the construction business for 
a few years now. 1972. My goodness. Just a kid. You were just a kid. <laughs> I was, you were just a kid. I was 15. And yeah, uh, you, you've been teaching, uh, you've been you know, still in the business and uh, teaching as well. Uh, and here's a question, a text question that uh, kind of refers to our chat about uh, code. And you can maybe reply to this. Why does code require two handrails for deck stairs but not for interior steps? Is that a correct statement? Well, code doesn't require two handrails for deck stairs. No, only one on the staircase is required. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So how that got interpreted or who communicated that mm. message, that becomes part of the challenge of understanding, you know, who's saying what to whom. But code basically addresses handrails and guardrails as two separate sections in the building code. And you need a handrail whenever you have three or more risers and you need a guardrail whenever you're above 30 inches. And those are different things in the code. And so there's actually a type one and a type two handrail and that's the configuration of the grippable surface and how you handle that. Years ago, we would put a two by four flat across the top of a deck rail and you can't grip that. So that doesn't qualify as a handrail. So when that code shifted, builders were like, well, I've been doing it like this for 20 years. And then like, what do you mean I got to put another handrail on this? I got a handrail. It's this capping rail here, this two by four, but you couldn't grip it. So it didn't qualify. So those kinds of things, as we wandered through the code process, people learned that the code was designed to protect life and safety. And as a a result, it continually gets upgraded, modified, changed so that we go, oh, that's not working very well. Let's fix that. That's not working very well. Let's fix that. But the bulk of the code, I would say 85 to 90 percent of it does not change. It's been the same since 1972 when Minnesota adopted the 1970 Uniform Building Code, Minnesota. All right. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. Uh, let's go to the phones, Barry. Jack uh, is calling in from Shakopee. Jack, what's your question for Barry? Thank you for taking my call, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a block wall foundation, and right down at the bottom of the foundation where it meets the cement, there's a fine corrugated uh, piece that runs all the way around my basement. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? It's called vent mat. Yes, I have it in my house too. Okay, vent mat. Now, if, and what's the reason for that? Well, the corrugation was designed to let any water that might seep between the bottom of the block and the top of the footing access across the top of the footing underneath the concrete floor slab so it could get into an interior drain tile system. They're almost always used in, an, in conjunction with an interior drain tile. Hmm. Okay, now... Uh, if you are one of the lucky people in our country that has radon yes. in the basement, they plug that up. Yes. And, and the challenge, obviously, is if you've got radon in the subslab soils in concentrations, that vent mat would provide access for airflow from beneath the concrete slab up against the block surface and then into your basement space. So it wasn't designed to handle water that might be on the face of the concrete block wall. So sealing the top of that vent mat won't create any problems for how it would function. It would still provide a movement of water beneath the concrete wall across the top of the footing and into the drain tile piping. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Hi, Jack. That that was a... I figured that was just to catch water if it was dripping down the wall once you, after you finished your basement or something. You know? Well, uh, there were people who proposed that purpose, and uh, ultimately in Minnesota, we're like, if we got a problem like that, we got too big a problem. So that's not – it doesn't – it, it shouldn't ever function that way. <laughs> All right, Jack. Thank, thanks for the question. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Here, here is something probably that I would say – you would probably say too that this texture could just call uh, – 
uh, Linda's for this. Let me just read it. Uh, Tom from Delano. Good morning. It says, uh, Barry, need to replace uh, certainty organic shingles, ballpark or price range to replace with GAF, have a single-story home with three-season porch and three-car garage. Well, Linda's comes out for Absolutely, free. Yeah. yeah. And this is in their wheelhouse of work. So I would actually call them and talk to them and see how soon you can get them out for an estimate. Yep, have them, yeah. uh, have them come out. They that, do great work on roofs. Oh, boy. I've had mine done... Uh, with that, those great GAF, yep. that 50-year yep. warranty, wow. Yep. Give them yeah. a call. Give them a call. 1-800-LEAFGUARD is the easiest number to remember. Uh, Denise is calling from Painesville, Barry. Let's see what Denise has to say. Denise, what can we do for you? Well, our house was built in 1937, and we have red oak flooring. And we are going to be taking a wall out between our dining room and kitchen. And I bought, used, uh, it's two years newer 1939 red oak flooring and we're going to join the two floors together Um, my question is currently we have the red oak flooring um, when i say that it's the strips the one and a half inch strips and they have a little bit of wrap on them they're in our back detached garage Um, now i'm wondering should i bring them into the house put them in the basement or do i put them upstairs we are not ready to remodel this Sure. I just got ahead of myself with the floor. <laughs> well, you've done great, though, because you've got the material set so you're prepared, Denise. I think that's awesome. Here's the key question. What's the moisture content of the floor inside the home, and what's the moisture content of the stored wood? What you want is to get those within 1% or 2% before you install. Typically, if you've got something in a damp, well, actually, you can go either borrow somebody's got a moisture. I, I'm required to carry one for my work. So I just have this little delm horse. I stick it into the end of the wood and figure out what the water content is. And that tells me whether we can put the floor back onto our subfloor or not. Because if we don't get compatible, we won't put the floor in. We've got to have dry subfloors. Otherwise, you have moisture and movement issues. And I don't want that for you. So the other thing that you can do is acclimate the floor to the living conditions for the time that you install. Now, do you have any idea when you're planning to put this floor together? Um, probably in that like next summer, next fall. Okay. So the, the thing is, in the wintertime, your stored material is going to dry out nicely. But then you come back into the spring and the things are going to get more moist again. Just the humidity, the ambient humidity level is, going to, level is going to cause that moisture to actually get into the wood fiber and it'll swell. So you don't need okay. to do anything about that right now. You can come back into the spring and then about a month before you're planning to install it, I would try to get inside. It's going to take some time for moisture levels to reach equilibrium. And that's why I would give yourself not a couple of days, but a couple of weeks uh, in the same environment. Okay. So it is okay to leave it in the back yep. garage. Keep it dry as can be. It's dry, 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 covered, protected, everything you can do there. But as it dries out in the wintertime, it'll naturally lose moisture. So it'll be fine. Okay. Thank That's you, okay. Denise. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for the call. Now, one of these little machines you have to carry with you, what do you call it's them? A, my so, moisture meter, moisture tester. Can you can a... Yeah, I don't know where you... I, I'm, I've never shopped for them because the company supplied them for us. Oh, oh, sure. So I've never gone looking for them. I'm sure you can buy them in a big box. I bet you can. All right, 651-989-9226. That's the same number for the text as it is the phone call. So you can call in your question for Barry or send a text like this uh, listener. It says, Barry, I have a split for your home. Uh, it's very hot in the summer, very cold in the winter. I don't know. And the foyer itself is the question. I don't know what is underneath the floor, but assume it's part of uh, the garage. What can be done to fix this? Well, it always is helpful to have a construction cross-section of a drawing there to know what's going on. Um, 
it, oftentimes we have underventilated spaces and airflow into those spaces. We didn't get enough mechanical air draw into those. And because in a split, you end up having whatever you put into that space, the warm air is rising up and out of it. Uh, cold air will fall back into it because it's lower. And, and that's not abnormal. Uh, but I don't think you're going to regulate that outside of changing the the airflow around it. And that's about changing the amount of volume that's coming through the HVAC system. So to me, this is a ductwork adjustment seasonally. And if you do that, you're going to have the best option from a cost-effective standpoint. Short of putting some heat into that floor to warm it up in the wintertime, I don't know what your best option is going to be. That's a challenge. All right, 651-989-9226. Let's uh, go back to the phones, Barry. Uh, Mike is calling from Woodbury, I believe. Mike, you're on CCO. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I love the show. I, it's my first time actually listening to it. Well, so great. I was listening to the Twins, Twins game last night, and I turned on my truck this morning, and here we go. Well, you know um, what? That's so, a, Yes, go ahead. That's, thank you, Mike, for so, that. Oh, I'm a contractor, gentlemen, and I've been doing like construction defect work since about 2001. And I see a lot of um, homes and even commercial properties that have really poor window insulation that creates significant water damages to the homes sure. or structures. So how does code get changed so there actually is some uniformity in how, what the flash, the pan flashing detail really is? Because there's a lot of homes that have replacement windows, really poor level quality, lifetime warranty, vinyl replacement windows, but the, the install method is so substandard that it is really rotting out these homes and people don't even know it. Sure. Yeah, it's a great point, Mike. I think the challenge is to understand that the code tried to figure out a way to deal with, especially retrofit installs, and not make them burdensome from a cost point. And so the flashing requirements from Chapter 9 of the building code don't apply to a replacement window. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? So if you open up a wall surface, let's say you're going to strip the siding off and you're now looking at able to put in a weather-resistive barrier, house wrap or tar paper, now you're required to put in place with a a sill flashing, at least a beveled, and wrap it correctly. And and typically you'll probably see a flexi-flash like I do on most of these jobs and then tape them in. And that works great. But if you're only putting a replacement in, there's no code requirement for that. And, and the reality is the code writers looked at that and said, then how do we put in a, an insert? We don't have any way to do that. And so it is one of the great dilemmas. And I think it's a way to differentiate yourself as a contractor. You're doing defect work, but wouldn't it be smart for a builder to come along and say, hey, let's document the defects that others have created and let's explain why, while we're going to charge you more, we're going to have effective results. Because you're absolutely right. The water intrusion taking place in those locations is going to go undetected for maybe one or two decades. And then it'll be extensive enough that it's going to show up as mold on base molding underneath that window that was replaced. And you're like, what in the heck happened here? And it's been seeping for 20 years because we didn't flash it correctly on the install. Brilliant point, Mike, and I hope you listen more often. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate the call. Uh, Mike leaves that line open at, uh, if you want to call in your question for Barry, 651-989-9226, or send a text, 81807. I'm going to have you comment on this, uh, this text. Uh, let me see if I can find it now. Uh, in talking about a wet garage floor, I agree with the host, meaning you, points, but a very common issue causing wet garage floors in the spring is condensation. This happens when warm, moist air comes in contact with a colder, sometimes still unfrozen subgrade slab. The shade in the garage often means the slab warms up slower than other things do in the spring. I, sure. think, I think I got it all. 
That makes sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In, in fact, my family works uh, on, on Tuesdays for a handicapped rider program up in Rogers, Minnesota, and their barn floor was so sweaty on Monday where we hit 90 degrees. Oh, yeah. So we've got this high, humid air and we've got this cold concrete slab because the soils underneath it are ambient, which are 55, 58 degrees, something like that, and absolutely created a condensing plant on the concrete floor. Uh, caller makes a, you know, texture makes a really, really good point. I just didn't mention it. All right. Uh, hang on, Barry. We'll take this quick break. We have more uh, time for your uh, phone calls or text messages. Any kind of home improvement question, you want to talk with this guy, Barry Strands, filling in for Andy today. Good morning. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show, presented every Saturday by our friends at Lindus Construction. Andy Lindus taking the day off today. Our friend Barry Strands filling in uh, for Andy, and as usual, doing a fantastic job. Um, <laughs> why, why don't you... You make me that's, laugh. Does that count for anything? That's in lieu of a raise. Uh, <laughs> 651-989-9226. Uh, again, that number, that phone number is the same as the text number, so... Uh, try it. 651-989-9226. Uh, let's see. Boy, we've got a lot of texts here, Barry. Oh, that's good. Get them. Um, uh, again, here's a text. Uh, I, I can recommend a place to find out who to recommend. Texter says, my garage floor needs replacing. Who should I call? Well, Andy and I would say, if you want to call our friends at Semstone, they probably have a list of yes. contractors. Well, the hard part about recommending somebody on the air yeah. is that you end up going, I haven't talked to them in two weeks. I don't know what their schedule is. And yeah. if they're really busy. And guys, the concrete companies we're using right now, they're booking out a month. So that means that they're probably not going to call a homeowner who wants a garage floor replacement right now because they're doing bigger stuff, foundations and that kind of thing. And most of the guys who do big concrete work, uh, I, those are the people I'm co- in connection with right now. And smaller companies that would handle that and love to do it, I'm not sure I know who to tell people to go see. It's all those issues. All right, let's uh, let's go back to the phones. Go back to the phones. Steve is calling from uh, Minneapolis, I believe. Hi, Steve. What can we do for you? Good morning, guys. Uh, love your show. Thank and, you. Uh, especially this morning, it's pertinent for uh, a situation where we had, we've had to uh, our basement leak completely. The rugs, the the carpet's gone, the padding's gone, and we had to cut the walls up about three feet. Yep. Pull out the insulation. Now we want to proceed. We're not fixing it up until we've determined the leak, and we're talking about running a, what do you want to call it, a, a line away from that tiling. I'm not familiar Drain with tile. that. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, uh, when you were talking earlier, whether we should go down and waterproof that wall where the leak is towards the bottom, it's it's in a, a sunroof that's attached to our house, okay? Okay. It's at that very corner where they kind of come together with the main basement and the sunroof walls, you know. Yeah. And do we have to go down to that bottom, uh, even even though we would take the steps to run the, the tiling away from it and that type of thing? Well, the challenge is to understand exactly where the water's coming in. And ideally, you fix a water intrusion problem on the exterior of the foundation. That's ideal. And sometimes it's simply not cost-effective to do that. So interior drain tile is designed in a block foundation to open up the corners of the block below the slab or at the or within the slab and then drain them and then you carry that drain tile to a collection basket we call it a sump basket put a pump in place and when that pump hits its, it's a certain water level the float will trip the on switch and the pump will get water out of the house that's been a really effective tool for drying out basement spaces if water is in the block it can be drained out of the block through the drain tile system and out of the house 
And we've just done a couple in this, this year for houses that we didn't build, but we were in remodeling and came across problems. And we go to that drain tile system. We cut open the concrete floor. We put a gravel base in. We put a drain tile pipe in, which is a perforated plastic pipe, and then weep tubes into the open channels of the concrete block wall, drain the water to a sump basket, put a pump in place with the float, and then cover it all back up and then put it all back together again. And it works just fine. That's, just, that's presuming that the water's in the block and not coming in higher up the wall somehow. Wow. Okay, we hadn't addressed that, but it, it's you sound so thorough. It's amazing, and it sounds like more than we were going to endeavor to do. Uh, well, the hardest part is going. We can do. We can bandaid things, or we can fix them. And the the biggest problem that I have with people is it's a the budget will drive people to do things that are more bandaid, more topical, and they're not really a thorough solution. And I get nervous because I don't want you spending three or four thousand dollars when you could have spent six or seven and fixed it. And that and to me. That's important. So I, I just don't want to misguide you, Steve. I, I, I'm sorry that we, I mean, we've had so many basement water problems this year. Yeah, it's, it's a real, real issue. And, and, but hoping it'll go away and it won't be wet next year, I don't think is, is as useful. All right, Steve. Good luck. Thank you for the call. Uh, 651-989-9226. We have time for more for Barry. Uh, Brent calling from Roseville. Brent, you're on CCO with Barry. Good morning. Um, I, I, I was listening, and what's the name of that product that was used uh, where the concrete vent block mat. wall meets the basement floor to prevent? What was that, Barry? It's called vent mat, and it was placed against the footing and basement wall prior to the installation of the concrete floor. Oh, and it I would not meet code to today. After the Correct. Bill. Yeah, it's not, it's not being added after the fact, and it wouldn't be code compliant today because of the radon rules that are currently in place. One other question. Uh, sure. On my exterior concrete block that, you know, above of the grade, I've got some of the uh, concrete block that's, uh, you know, coming off sure. in, in pieces like uh, or anywhere from an eighth of an inch to maybe a quarter of an inch. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I've been patching with a good patch, which yeah. seems to help in some cases, but I don't know what's causing that. I haven't painted the blocks or anything, so... yeah. I don't know if you have any suggestion for what to do there. Well, between microorganisms and water in the concrete, that'll break down the glue, if you will, the Portland cement over time within the block foundation. So the surface area up above the grade today, there's some options. You can coat them like you're doing and leave them exposed. But to get a topical adhesive paint on that surface is a really good strategy because it's going to minimize the amount of water that gets into that block that then increases the likelihood of the spalling situation that you're experiencing. So I would patch it, yes, but then I would coat it or cover it. And we are, we're using a thing called grade metal, which is basically a colorized metal that goes up underneath, tucks under the siding, and goes down below the grade. You just dug it, the little spade shovel down there, and then we cover it all up. Water can't get to it anymore, so whatever has happened to it, it will not continue to happen as a result of increased levels of water because the water is kept from it. Are the homes that you are you know work with or work on, new or remodel, do all the homes in that particular area have sump pumps? Do homes these days, is that code or not? Yes, it is. Well, the sump, a drainage system is code. And the question, of course, is how is the house configured? If it's slab on grade, you don't need a sump pump. You just need to take drain tile and move it out away from the house. And there are soil classifications. It gets really technical, but there's four soil classifications. And a group one soil is considered a well-drained soil. It doesn't need an additional system. 
So I, I have to qualify my answer lest the contractors sure. out there yell at me for not telling the whole <laughs> truth. But, but knowing that then, it's like, yes, it's just presumed that we'll put in a sump system of some kind. Code does require it. Now, the problem, of course, is code wants it on the exterior of the house. Block foundations needed on the interior to drain the block surfaces. So only in the foundation section do you see a drainage system for block. And that's why I tell people if you're going to a block foundation, you put the drain tile on both sides of the foundation wall, not just one, not just the exterior. Makes sense. Uh, boy, we've got about a minute to go. Brent in Roseville. Hey, Brent, how about a real quick question for, uh, for Barry? I, I, I was just on. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, oh. we just saw Brent. I just, he, I, well, thanks for calling, Brent. Yeah. We're glad that you were just on. We just kept you on the line, I think. You know what? <clears throat> we're just uh, almost out of time. Uh, we've got a text message that, uh, that maybe we could field here, too. Uh, about uh, the soil in Zimmerman, Sandy, uh, they're, uh, if they get an epoxy uh, on their garage floor, they said it sweats right now. Will that prevent it from sweating? No. Uh, not, not at all. Not, not, not condensation a, no. effects. See, condensation doesn't care what the, the topical coating is. That's not water coming through the slab. It's water landing on the surface from the, right. the air environment. It's like having uh, droplets of water on your lemonade because you've got ice, gla- uh, ice in your water in the summertime. You can't stop that from happening. We gotta go. Uh, well, We're this out of is, time. I can't believe it. It's like it's been fifteen fast. minutes. We'll come back. Come back again as soon as they let me. All right. We'll talk to uh, the boys at Lindis. All right. Thanks very much, Barry Strands.